good morning again, everyone. Uh, welcome to our virtual service. And um, I know this is not uh, kind of, uh, this is an unexpected event meeting virtually. Uh, for some reason in the summertime, we, uh, the elders kind of got together and we were talking and we sort of anticipated something like this happening. Um, can you, <laughs> that's, how, that's how smart we are. <laughs> so, uh, but Brian, we got, Brian recorded some music in advance and um, Justin helped us and so we sort of planned for this. We didn't, we kind of, we, none of us wanted us to, to get COVID or um, had to be suspending services again, but I think this is just a temporary deal. We plan to meet together again um, very, very soon. So I hope today's a blessing to you. I know God has been working through me uh, in the message in, in the book of Romans, and I hope what he has to say will bless you. And um, I hope you will join me in prayer for uh, not just Shannon and his family, but for everyone who's affected by this. So uh, let me begin with a word of prayer. I, pr I ask you to bow your heads and join me. Lord, thank you for uh, loving us and knowing every detail of our lives. Thank you, God, for another day. Here we are. We're waking up uh, to a beautiful day in January. And uh, even though things are not always exactly like we want them to be, uh, you've given us today, and you've blessed us with a, a job and a task and a privilege of being your children. Uh, you've given us each other and a family and friends and neighbors to love on, and I pray we would not neglect it. Father, we know that uh, we, did, we didn't plan on suspending services today. Uh, we didn't plan on being virtual or, or sitting in our homes, uh, uh, not with one another, but it, uh, this is the way. It is right now, and, and it reminds me, God, of the curse of sin on the world. It reminds me that uh, the reason we face disease and heartache and suffering is because we're, we're in a fallen world, and it gives me hope to look forward to your return. God, I pray you just forgive us uh, as sinners. Help us to be uh, right with you. I pray for those who are sick. I pray for Shannon and his family, that you'd help them recover quickly. I pray, Father, for, other, for others who are affected by this COVID uh, the disease, that you would just provide healing and comfort and rest and help them to get over this quickly. Um, I pray the symptoms are not severe. I pray that you would just, through medicine or vitamins or rest or any of the things that you've uh, already told us about through the doctors, that you would just heal and you would restore health. I pray, Father, you protect our members while they're away. Uh, keep us safe. Uh, bless our, the needs. Father, I know there's been um, families who are traveling, and I know there's been uh, uh, new birth in some families, grandchildren being born, and I know that, um, God, jobs have been uh, exciting to see happen, new jobs coming up and opportunities. So a life is happening, and we are uh, giving you all the glory for it, and we trust the God that you will minister to each family in Redeemer and you will bring us back together safely very soon. I pray you bless this time. Lord, I know I am not sufficient uh, to even begin to study and, and proclaim your truth, but I pray you would overcome my weakness and speak through me, God. And may the words of your, of your word uh, be clear. May the message ring true, and I pray that you would touch uh, each family who listens, uh, each person who listens. And Father, we ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, guys. Well, um, uh, Shannon asked me if I if ask any of the elders if we had something to share or uh, a message that we might be able to, to communicate. 
And of course, my life group and I, we've been studying through uh, Romans for a while now. And we'll get through it eventually, but it's taking us some time. So I do have a lot of material, and I apologize in advance to the members of my life group. You may hear all this again, and I will try to be brief. So, um, but let me, I, before I get caught up in all the stuff, I want to begin with the end. Uh, I want to start today with the end. Uh, Paul wrote Romans so that the church would have a, a sure foundation, but the message of Romans is how to be right with God, how to be that we can be saved. We, we do not have to die in our sin. And I know, um, you know, I would just ask you, if you're listening today, uh, if COVID has affected you or um, maybe you've had a family member pass away in the last year or, or even sooner, and you have um, experienced loss or tragedy, that you yourself would, would reflect and wonder, I, I have to ask you, yeah. Do you know for sure you would go to heaven if you were not to make it to the end of this week or even the end of this day? And um, Paul's message in Romans is that you can. You can be sure. You can attain salvation. You do not have to die in your sin. There's really only two kinds of people in this world, those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. If you die without Christ, you're not going to heaven. So I pray that uh, whatever, he, whatever else is said in today's message that Jesus would be very, very clear, and that you would be convicted, if you're, not a, if you're not a believer, that before the end of the message is over, before the end of the day, uh, Jesus would become your Savior. So that's the goal, is that um, we want to share the gospel, we want to share Jesus Christ, and I don't want anybody to, to not be in heaven. So if you have doubts, if you're wondering, how could this be, how can God save me, how can God come into my life and rescue me from myself, do I know for sure on my deathbed if I'll make it to heaven? Uh, this, is, this is your message. This is where we need, to, we need to listen and listen closely and find out what the hope is for all of us, not just Redeemer Church, but every single person in the world. God has made his salvation available to everyone. So that's what I want to end with, but now let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about, uh, uh, just to tell you a little background about Romans, Romans is the Magna Carta of the gospel. It's the Magna Carta of Christianity. It's everything uh, that Christians need to believe. If you had one book to study and what, about Christianity, it would be the book of Romans. Martin Luther, uh, St. Augustine, uh, and others, even John Bunyan, were uh, all saved as a result of Romans being preached. So the power of Romans is not... Um, is not taken lightly. So I hope that it blesses you, and I hope that uh, you guys can, um, can, can, under, can appreciate what Paul's trying to say. So let's kind of let's read the scripture. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, and um, we're going to start. I know I told Brian verse 19, but I really need to start back in verse 12. So we're going to start reading in Romans chapter 3, verse 12. And uh, we'll go through all the way through verse 23. So join me in the Bible, if you would, Romans chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes, All have turned aside together. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You guys, if you don't have some of that underlined, that is an issue. You've got to take some notes here. So um, is that, that's just powerful. Good news. Uh, there's good news. That sounds bad, but there's good news here. All right. The bottom line, what Paul is trying to tell us is man is depraved. Man is not good. Man does not fear God. So um, Paul takes a long time to explain this. Uh, he takes three chapters, chapter 1, verses uh, 18, through all the way through chapter 3, 20, verse 20, is all about Paul telling us how bad we are. Man is bad, man is bad, man is awful, awful, awful. So that's a lot of scripture to talk about how fallen and corrupt men are. And it's justifiable. Uh, there's a lot going on here. Why does Paul... Uh, take such time. Well, you got to go back to chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. Let me just, I know my life group is going, oh my goodness. So just uh, follow with me here. Paul is very concerned about men, and, and this is the reason. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So that's it. Everybody, all men everywhere are, are under the wrath of God. And I, that's not a good place to be, y'all. We do not want to be under the wrath of God. So man, Paul knows that man is facing God's wrath. But he also knows there's hope. He wants to make sure everyone understands that, that wrath is, man is faced, all men are going to face God's wrath. But there is hope. There is salvation. There is good news. Now, good, that's what the gospel means, good news. Now, good news is not good news unless you know how bad it is, right? It's, it's interesting to hear that, uh, you know, there might be a cure for a certain disease, but it doesn't really mean anything unless you're affected by it. So, it's, so you, everyone's affected by this, so we do have good news. So the, bad, the issue is man's uh, fallen nature and that we're under wrath. Why are we under wrath? Because men are corrupt. Now, this is, I don't know about you, but uh, it seems to be in the world, um, I know in my conversations at school with teachers especially, why is that adults are so difficult? Uh, just because we're hard-headed. But it seems to me we always get into a disagreement about students. Can you imagine that? So, student, whenever a student gets in trouble, I'll be like, well, they did wrong. They got to pay the price. They got consequences. You know, that's me. I'm very black and white. You did a bad thing. This is the consequence. So uh, inevitably, I get a teacher or an adult come in and say, um, but they're really good inside. They're really, it's really not their fault. So that goes all over me like just bad things. So I, I cannot respond the way that I want to respond always. I just have to say to them, okay, well, they're still going to have a consequence. If you disagree, appeal. So... <laughs> um, 
the, the difference in philosophy in the world is some people think men are okay. Some people think all people have a natural goodness inside. We are created in the image of God. We are created with worth. But we're not good. There's nothing good about men. Let me illustrate. So uh, I have a quote here. That, yes, this is an ongoing, ongoing battle. Whether man is naturally good or man is naturally bad. But there is no doubt. Okay, we, we have empirical evidence. Let me t- read you uh, a study. This was a study done in 1926, years ago, almost 100 years ago. The governor, Theodore Christensen of Minnesota, established the Minnesota Crime Commission to study crime and evaluate its causes. The commission eventually concluded that criminal tendencies were not the result of poverty, education, environment. Instead, it offered the following brutal observation. Now, keep in mind, this is not a Christian organization. This is a government entity, uh, a police organization. So here's their conclusion after the study. This is what they wrote. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmates' toys, whatever. Deny him these things, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which, can, which could be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no, uh, he has no morals, no knowledge, no skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy every want, every single child will grow up into a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. I don't know, if you ever had a baby, you're like, amen. That is amen stuff right there. So I'm telling you, Men are bad. We're born bad. We, we, we have bad, but there's lots of empirical evidence. I mean, look at the Holocaust. So, um, but for some reason, people think they're good. It's sort of like, um, I know you guys, you parents have had this, when your uh, son or daughter uh, gets into the, the snacks, and they are, uh, you're like, okay, who got into the snacks? And you're looking right at the, the, your son or daughter, and you're saying, did you do it? And what are they saying? No, not me. All the time they're covered with cricky crumbs, you know, all over their mouth. They have no idea that you know the truth. So uh, that's kind of what men have done. They've made excuses. But Paul says there's no excuse. And Paul says that people are bad. And he ends, so he takes three chapters to go through this. And he ends his argument with scripture. He backs up the condition of man, what he's been saying with scripture. So I just want to briefly touch on what God says about the condition of man. So in verse 12, he says that man is worthless. <laughs> I'm, I'll just use me because I don't want to pick on anybody. I am, or I was, without Jesus, I was worthless. What does that mean? It means sour milk. Sa- that's gross, isn't it? Stinking sour milk. So that's what man is. Man is worthless without Jesus Christ. So if you go to verse 14, God tells us that we're rotten. We're dead on the inside. You got, we got to read this. This is good stuff. He says, um, let's see here. Verse 12, we're worthless. Verse 13, he says their throat is an open grave. An open grave. You guys, that means we're dead on the inside. We're dead on the inside. We, we stink. We, 
We literally are the walking dead without Jesus. Oh, yeah. I know, zombies had to come up. You didn't think zombies would ever come up in a sermon, but they did. So, anyway, he says we're an open, our, our throat is an open grave. If we're dead in here, it's definitely coming out here. And what does the Bible teach us? It teaches that uh, out of the abundance of the, of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if there's nothing good in here, then nothing good comes out here. And you can tell Paul goes on and, and he talks about that. He says their, boat, their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips, and their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I mean, if you can't walk around in this world and hear all the nasty things people say, you're deaf. That is, people absolutely talk horrible things today. So um, even Shakespeare was, was kind of in on this. He, has a, he wrote a play. Uh, he wrote a lot of plays. One of the plays he wrote was Julius Caesar. And in the opening lines of Julius Caesar, one of the, the praetorian, one of the guards, is walking through the streets, and he's really upset about people celebrating Julius Caesar's uh, victory. And he comes out, and he talks to all the citizens, and he screams out in Shakespeare's play, Shakespeare's words, You blocks, you stones, you worse than senseless things. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Men without Christ are blocks, are stones, are worse than senseless things. We are just, just absolutely in a condition of horribleness. But just don't get too discouraged. There's hope, y'all. There's hope. Okay. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we know that you get nasty stuff in here, you get nasty stuff out. But God can take care of that. So we know in verse 15 of chapter 3 that their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. So if you, if you got bad stuff in here, and you're saying bad stuff, eventually you're going to do stuff. We know talk leads to action. The more you say it, the more you end up doing it. It's kind of like the, uh, I know Christmas is over, but you remember in Christmas story when he goes, like, I dare you. And then, I double dare you. And then like the triple dog dare, and finally the kid get, does what, he's, you know, what he's been talking about doing. So talk leads to, work, leads to actions. And if we're without Christ, if we're worthless and we're sour and we're rotten inside, the actions we, we do are going to be that way. So um, without Christ, men are bad. Also, did you know that, you probably didn't know this, men kill their own more than any other species. That's kind of sad. That's, that's really sad. Men kill their own more than any other species. Now, this is not new knowledge. This is nothing new. Uh, David wrote about the sinful man in, in Psalms. So if you got your Bible, let's turn over to Psalms and see what David has to say about the condition of man. We're going to look at Psalms 36, and we're going to read the first four verses. All right, are you with me? And so here we go. This is about the sinful man. David writes, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found, uh, found out. And hate, and uh, what does it say? And my eyes are going so bad. Cannot be found, found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. 
So this is the simple man. So there's, there's a lot here that David's saying about the simple man. One is that he is his own authority. He defines his own right and wrong. That's kind of what we were just saying. Is people today set their own standard. And I don't know why it is. This is a good illustration of this. If you ever have a house, why is it that all your doors are like there's a gap somewhere? None of them are exactly even. Why is that? Every single house I've ever been in, none of there's a gap. There's any, on one corner or the other, there's always a gap in a door. It's because no one can level a house in this soil. No one can. Somewhere, some way, and wood is organic and all that stuff. It flexes and moves. Everything is unlevel. It's not straight. It's not true. And, but people define their own terms. People say, this is what I think is straight, so this is good. We make it work. Well, that's not good enough for God, right? So one condition of simple man is you define your own terms. Everything is right and wrong according to your own definition. You know somebody like that? That is uh, uh, somebody living in sin, somebody who doesn't know Christ. Christ defines right and wrong. The Bible defines right and wrong. That's our standard, okay? Verse, uh, so the next thing David says in verse 3 is, I love the way the King James says, verse 3, King James says that man has ceased to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. That is a great term, y'all. I'm telling you, this is what it means. So the illustration is like this. So the depraved man does not walk circumspectly. Well, you know, in uh, some houses, some countries, they have these concrete walls, and they'll put, or whatever kind of wall, and they'll put a little mortar on top, and then some people will put little shards of glass on top of those walls. And then, so what is that for, right? It's to keep the birds from landing on those walls and doing all kinds of business where they shouldn't be doing business. So not many things will get on a wall with shards of glass on it, but there's one creature that will, a cat. A cat can walk on any wall, anywhere, anyhow. And if you ever watch a cat walk on top of a wall, and the, the illustration is like, if you see a cat walking along that wall around shards of glass, they're just walking. They're, they're putting their foot down. They're not touching any of that glass. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. A man with God, a godly man, walks circumspectly. People without God, people without Christ, people without God's word to guide their lives, do not walk circumspectly. They have no care in the world, okay? We walk with wisdom. We can see what's going on. He says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. David said, I write this unto you that you may not sin, right? I hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's walking circumspectly. So there you go, some believers. Uh, if you want to know the difference between those who without God and those with God, look at how they're living. Okay, let's keep going. All right. All right, what's the result of all this bad behavior? In verse 16, uh, 17, and 18 of chapter 3, well, ruin and misery. Ruin and misery. It says they do not, in verse 18, he says they do not fear God. So I have to ask the question, what does it mean to fear God? It's two parts. One is reverence. We fear God out of reverence. It's a holy reverence. It's standing in, in a worshipful attitude. You're living your life in a worshipful attitude, knowing that God the Creator is God the Creator of everything. It's a reverence. But it's also a, a knowledge that God is the judge. 
There's a positive and a negative. It's a, it's a knowledge that someday we all have to give an account of our actions to somebody. God will judge all men everywhere. Yes, we revere him and we love him and we worship him, but we also know that he's going to judge everybody. He is the judge. So that's, you got to have both. That's what the fear of God is. So I just want to look at that from a backwards standpoint as well. I don't want to neglect this point. The opposite of true for, is true for the godly man. The godly men and women do fear God. They do have a reverence, and they do walk that way. So Paul sums it up nicely in verse 19. He tells us what? Okay, because man is so bad, because men are all this way, every mouth is stopped. There is no excuse. There is no excuse, period. Let's see. Every mouth is stopped. There's no defense. So you got to, Paul sort of, this is kind of like in chapter 3, or really the first three chapters, Paul's, the the tone, the writing is similar to like a lawyer in a trial, and he's trying to, he's arguing. So you hear, you you can almost hear Paul saying, or people speaking to Paul saying, well, what about the people who do good stuff? What about the people who do good things? I give to this philanthropy, and I give to that, and I have community service here, and I, I got good stuff. I do a lot of good things. Well, what does Isaiah 64, 6 tell us? That our righteousness, man's righteousness, man's deeds are like filthy rags before God. And no matter how good you are, it's not good enough. No matter how good you are, it's not good enough. No, as a matter of fact, in Romans 3.12, what did we read? No one does good. No one does good. Period. That's pretty easy. Okay, verse 20. Let's look at it. He says, every mouth, 19, no excuse. Every mouth is stopped. Everyone's accountable to God. Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, what, is, what does it mean to, um, to say the law? Well, Jesus summed up the law didn't he? Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So if you do that every day, all the time, you're probably in good shape, but I don't know anybody that does that. The law is simply in, another way to look at the law. Yes, that's, that's the commandments of God. Another way to look at the law is it's kind of in a legalistic way. It's works. It's works. There's nothing men can do. This righteousness of God it says uh, in verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There's, that's legalism. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. You can't, man, I'm going to touch them. If I get angry emails, I'll just have to get angry emails. Y'all, you, I know some people think that maybe lighting a candle here is, is going to help that may be uh, saying certain things or rubbing certain kinds of necklaces or um, maybe even wearing certain kinds of underwear is going to help you get good graces with God, brownie points. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You can't light a candle. You can't do any certain crosses. You can't say any chants. It says here, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There's nothing you can do. You can't say enough. You can't pray enough. You can't give enough. You can't do anything enough to make appeasement with God. Matter of fact, uh, Micah, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Micah says, 
What does Micah say? In chapter 6, Micah says, you know, there's, what shall I bring to appease God? He says, uh, 10,000, there's, he says, thousands of rams, 10,000 gallons of oil, my own firstborn. He says, what can I do? What can I bring to God to make myself right with God? I can't do anything. That's the conclusion of Micah. There's nothing we can do to be right with God. So we have to rely on something else. All right, the law is for wrath. What does the law do then? If God's law is there and present and you can't be justified by it, why have it? Well, the law is to reveal our sin, Paul tells us. He says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You know, that's kind of a hard concept for a lot of people. The easiest way I ever got that was like, how do I know I'm speeding? Because I'm driving, I like this speed. This is pretty good. I'm driving pretty good. This is a really, yeah, this is good. But then I look up and I see the sign. And I look down and I go, oh, that's, I'm not doing good. So I got to slow down. So the law is there to reveal sin. It's there to show us we're doing bad things. We're doing wrong. So that, not that the way I drive is bad, but I'm just trying to illustrate. The law is there to reveal sin, okay? So I hope that helps. That really helped me. All right, let's keep going. So the question is, Paul's trying to answer it. If no human being can be justified or made right in his sight, how can we be made right? And this is not an old question. I mean, this is not a new question. It's an old question. Even Job asked the question in chapter 9, Job, verse 2. He said, how can a man be right with God? How, all people want to know, how can a man be right with God? Y'all, and I got to tell you, this is good stuff. I know it's been doom and gloom. Man's bad. We're horrible people. We're, we're like walking dead. We do bad things. We say bad things. We think bad things. But y'all look at the next two words in chapter 3, verse 21. What's the first? You, if you have not circled these two words, you've got to circle these two words. But now. But now. But now. It, that's kind of it, y'all. That's, that's the message. We're done. That But now. So, no, 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 really. But now is, that's the good news, y'all. That's the but now. So here's, you guys have no idea how big this but now is. <laughs> this, is this is a big but now. So let me, let me give you a, an idea of what happened here. I'm using illustration again from literature. And in the Iliad, you know, you've heard about Odysseus and the Odyssey. Well, before that, there was the Iliad. And the Iliad is really the story of the Greek hero Achilles. And they're fighting the Battle of Troy. And so there's heroes all in this battle, heroes all in this great story. And Achilles is the hero for the Greeks. Well, the Trojans have a hero. Their hero is Hector. He is amazing. He's an amazing warrior. And the Trojans were famous for their, their helmets. They had these great big helmets with plumes on top. And they were famous warriors. They were the horse warriors. And they had these plumes that looked like a horse mane. And it was there to distract the enemy. You know, you'd wave it around, it'd flap around, and it'd be distracting. But fierce, fierce warriors. So when the Trojans came to battle, boy, they were decked out. They had their big helmets on. They had their shields and their armor. It was everywhere. And that's what Hector had. He, had, he knew uh, in, in the Iliad there's a moment when Hector has to go out and face Achilles, the two great heroes of the two great armies battling on the field. And Hector puts his armor on. He knows that Achilles is... Is fierce. He knows that Achilles is probably going to win, but he has a duty to his city. 
and his people. And he straps all his armor on, and he puts his big helmet on, and he gets his spear and his weapons ready. And he goes out, and he's, he's about to go out to face Achilles, and he wants to embrace his infant son one more time, his young son one more time, because this might be the last time he ever sees him. And he goes to lean in to embrace his son, and his son shies away in tears, screaming, I don't know you. You're, you're not my dad. And so Hector realizes what's, what the problem is. So he takes all his armor off, every single bit of it. He takes, he takes the big scary helmet off. He takes all the armor off. He takes the shield, puts his weapons down, and then he goes in to embrace his son. And his son just comes right to his dad and loves on him. And it's just a sweet moment in the, in the story. Y'all, that but now is that moment. God has taken his armor off, and he's leaning in, and he's saying, come to me. Let me love on you this way. Is that, if you have not been loved on, if you have not been cared for, if you have not been any, any kind of knowledge of peace and hope, this is it. This is the but now. And I, I tell you, everybody, all Christians have a but now moment. All believers have a but now moment. I know when I was really a bad person, it's debatable, I still do some things that are not so good, but before Jesus saved me, y'all, there was, there was a lot of things going on. And then I had a but now moment. That was true then, but now it's not. I used to be that way, but now I don't. I used to live for myself, but now I live for Jesus. I used to tell lies on purpose for my own benefit, but now I look to God for the truth. I used to fight my own battles and full of pride and selfishness. But now, Jesus tells me, let me fight your battles. Be humble before me. But now, if you haven't had a but now moment, you need to have a but now moment. Give your heart to Jesus. Let him take all that sin and all that stuff away and have a but now moment. And let God love on you. That's what Jesus is all about. This is the but now moment. God has taken his armor off. All the sin is gone. All the bad things are gone. He's going to come back and restore to us the life that we lost. We lost it in the garden, y'all. This is the but now moment. Okay, I'm getting excited. So, you have to excuse me. Or, or, not, or just join me. Just worship with me there. All right, so here we go. Let's kind of study this. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, so what does this mean, the righteousness of God? Well, that's what it means to have a level house. To, everything is just. Everything is true. Everything is right. We can have a right relationship with God. Whose righteousness? Not ours. It tells us the righteousness of God. It's pretty important we understand this is God doing this, not us. So, it is God's righteousness, not man's. Man's righteousness is as filthy rags. So that's pretty easy. And this righteousness is apart from the law. What's that mean? It means there's nothing you could do. Man-made efforts, legalism, we can't do it. God has to do it. It says, uh, the law of God gives the right to condemn. It works wrath only. But this is apart from the law. So here we go. Y'all gotta, gotta hang on here because this is good stuff. So how do you get this? The next question is, how do you get this righteousness? How, do, how does it come to you? It tells us in the next verse. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We get this righteousness. We can be right with God. We can have a but now moment through faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's what we do. That's how you get it. That's how you get it. So, y'all, there is a, this is the doctrine of salvation. I want to make sure we don't neglect to understand this is what it means to be saved. So, uh, there are five, there's probably more, but as I study this, there are five basic components to salvation. Let me make sure we get them all out here. God has provided a righteousness, and he's made it known. And we know that righteousness is Jesus Christ. The righteousness is available to all men through faith. So that's two. God has provided a righteousness and revealed it. The righteousness is available to men through faith. And it's open to all men everywhere. Not just a few. Not just the, the ones that go to this church or the ones that go to that church or the ones that are down the block or the ones that do this. Every single man and woman in the world, it's open to them. For, fourth thing. It is... Uh, Entirely of God's grace, it is a free gift of God, and it's made possible, fifth, it's made possible through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is God's. It's righteous, it's his righteousness. So I want to make sure that, um, so here's, here's a point about the gospel. It is God's righteousness. It doesn't say this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, although Jesus Christ is essential it's the gospel of God. Who sent, look, think about it for a minute. Um, when we discuss the gospel, we run the risk. This is a little bit more technical than I like to be, but it, it's part of what the Bible teaches us. So when we discuss the gospel, we run the risk of, of being Christocentric, Christocentric, where everything, we always talk about Jesus, which is amazing, uh, but there are two other parts of the Godhead. So there's three parts to the Godhead. When you read John 3, 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? So this is God's righteousness, and he sent his son. God sent Jesus, and he gave him a cup to drink. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, If it be your will, let this cup pass from me, right? So this is God's righteousness, and it's his gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself reconciling the world to himself so that's this is a pretty this is pretty big news pretty good news the righteousness of god is revealed it's available to everybody now is this a new thing it's apart from the law that's kind of new you don't have to do anything to earn it that's kind of new but it's not new he tells us in verse 21 this is witness he says the law and the prophets bear witness to it this stuff has been talked about all in the Old Testament. Even Abraham, God, what does God say about Abraham? That Abraham was credited righteousness. God looked at Abraham's faith, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So nothing new. Faith in God, right? Okay, let's keep going. So this is, uh, this, if, if we're in an outline here, which we kind of are, <laughs> I tried to make an outline. So, um, I want to look at this point three here. It says the gospel is not an accident or an afterthought. It's not an accident or an afterthought. It's been witnessed to by the prophets, okay? And it's been man man made manifested. Now, there is a, a word in verse 21 that tells us when. When. It's now. It's right now. That's when it's made. It's available to all men everywhere right now. And guys, this is, uh, this is kind of important that we understand this was, that our faith 
that Christianity is not, is not based in some philosophical ideas. It is based on a historical event. Jesus Christ came down and was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and he rose again on the third day from a tomb, a borrowed tomb. Those are historical events, and that's when the gospel, that's when righteousness was made available and manifested to the world. It is a historical event. It's, it's available right now. It's not some ethereal idea. Now, there is a teaching. There's a false teaching in our world. It's called demythologizing the Bible, and it says you can't believe the miracles. You can't believe all that stuff that's, that's uh, miraculous. Uh, you just have to believe the ideas. Christianity is a good thing. Matter of fact, it's even been said in our world that Christians, Christianity is a good thing because it teaches morals. Well, it's, it's more than that. It's based on fact. It's based on a true life event, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's available now. Um, so we need to make sure we're aware of and not victim to that mytholo demythologizing the Bible. All right? So let's keep going here. Verse 2, beloved, now righteous God says, let's see here. So, uh, okay, what does it mean now? So if this is apart from the law and is available through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, what do we do with the law? Is the law null and void? Absolutely not. The, the scriptures never contradict themselves, so you have to, you have to know that. And if you look down in verse 31 of chapter 3 in Romans, Paul says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So we're saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. That is not even of ourselves. God gives us faith. But the law is not null and void. We need the law to reveal our sin. So the Bible never contradicts itself. And, and this is really complex stuff, y'all, so I apologize if it's confusing. I do encourage you to study. Uh, the, uh, just for disclaimer's sake, the sources of uh, my study were uh, different people. Um, uh, I used Robert Jeffers, which I love, and I love, and, but the main source of my st study was Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I um, love his material. And then, of course, John MacArthur is always a good source to turn to. So if you have to dig into this a little more to get it, then I hope you do. All right, y'all, let's keep going. Point four, we said the righteousness of God is available to all men through faith. And we did that. We can't save ourselves. We did that. Oh, okay, I don't want to miss this. Verse 22. Verse 22. It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So what is faith? If, if it's available through faith, what is faith? So through faith, I don't know that this is comprehensive. But I, do, I think it's pretty good. I know that Hebrews says it's the faith is the knowledge of things hoped for and the assurance of things yet seen or something like that. So, but I want to I kind of narrow it down. That's, this, is a little, this is practical. What I have here is practical. Faith means knowledge of truth. You're aware of the truth. That you assent to the truth. You give assent to it, yes. And that you trust in the truth. You commit to it. All three are, in a, are necessary, and it's not just an intellectual. It's not just an intellectual thing. It has to be done completely. So faith is knowledge of the truth, assent to the truth, and trust in the truth. It looks only and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ 
as the truth. Is that, matter of fact, I think that's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Pretty easy. Okay, y'all, when you come to Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him. This faith is like, uh, y'all remember what the priest did with the lamb, right? There were two, there were two beasts in the Old Testament that the priest had to deal with. There was the, the lamb that they put their hands on and they sent out into the wilderness. That was called the scapegoat. And he carried the sins, the laying on of hands was putting the sins of, of all the people on the, on the animal and the animal took them far away. But then there's a second animal, the, the lamb of God, or the, the lamb that was sacrificed. And this is the one that was killed on the altar. But the priest would also lay hands on that animal before he was sacrificed so that sins could be atoned for. So he took them away. You remember no more. And he paid the price. Because you can't, you have to have both. You have to have the, the love and mercy, but you also have to have the punishment. You have to have both. And that's what Jesus Christ did. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is going to, Steve uh, Tomicelli, you'll appreciate this. That, that is what propitiation is. It is both the mercy of God and the judgment of God. That's what the cross is. It is the love of God and the mercy of God coming together for all men, okay? So when you do, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, only in him, that's what you, you symbolically do. You lay your sins on Jesus Christ and he takes them away. There's nothing to do. You trust him completely, just as you are. I know there's a lot of people, including myself, when you think about coming to Jesus and he died for me, no, no, I'm too bad. I've done this. I've done that. I, he couldn't possibly love me. He couldn't. I'm not good enough for Jesus. I'm too, that's what a lot of people really truly think, that I'm not good enough. That's one reason people commit suicide is they think they're not good enough. Their life is not worth living. You are good enough. Jesus you have to be good enough. Otherwise, you're putting yourself above God. Jesus died for everybody. Except you? You mean you're higher than God? He didn't die for you? No, no, you are good enough. You come. There's an old song we used to sing in church. I don't know if, I don't know if Brian sang this or not. I think, he, I think we've sung it in here. In the first verse, I'm not going to sing, y'all. Uh, just, just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. God, he takes you just as you are. He, he will take you just as you are. You, it's like, Shannon will appreciate this, it's like fishing. You don't clean fish before you catch them. You got to catch them first. All smelly fins and, you know, catfish are the worst. They're just nasty. But if you catch them, then you get to clean them up, y'all. We're fish. We're all just old stinky fish, and God will take us just as we are. He'll clean us up later, but he'll take us just as we are. So don't be afraid to trust in Jesus. He'll take you just as you are. It's through faith in Jesus Christ and belief in him that saves us. All right. The next point says Jesus Christ saves us, not our faith. Look at verse 22. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So yes, we have faith, but faith doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. He is our Savior. If your faith saved you, that'd be like a work. 
We can't work ourselves to heaven. We can't work ourselves to salvation. So be very clear on that. Jesus is our Savior, not our faith. And what does Paul mean when he says there's no distinction? Paul said there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, between a religious person and an irreligious person. There's no distinction in God's eyes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's in the same boat. We all fall short. Salvation is available to every single person who falls short of the glory of God. This is, y'all, it's like this. It's like if we lined up on the west coast of California and we all just kind of got our gym shorts on and our flippers on, or, or tennis shoes or whatever, and we started, got a running jump, and there was a contest to see who could jump from the west coast to the island of Hawaii. So this is it, y'all. This is the contest. We line up on the west coast, and we get a running start. You can have whatever running start you want. Some people wouldn't even get off the sand. Some people might get a couple of feet into the water. That might be me. But some people would get 20, 30 feet, and that's pretty good. Did they make it? No. Hawaii is the goal. That's what the righteousness of God is. None of us are going to make it. Nobody can make it there. None of us can attain, attain salvation on our own. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Oh, man, this is good stuff, y'all. So what does it mean, this verse 23? We're in verse 23 now. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is, there's two verbs here. One means it's, it happened once and done. Can't be changed. It's in the past. It's done forever. The other one is it's an ongoing deal. It's ongoing. So I want to talk about that for just a second. We're almost done, y'all. I'm going to wrap this thing up. We all have sinned. We've all missed the mark. That's one. We're born that way. We're born sinners. We've all missed the mark. And that's the, that's the verb that means we've, that happened, right? So what is a sin? It means missing the mark. It means not straight. It means that, that we trespass, we follow our will rather than God's will, right? And we're inerrantly wrong. That's what sin. We all have sinned. We're all born sinners. And the second verb is where we fall short. We're, we're falling and we're continuing falling short of the glory of God. And that's an, that's an ongoing deal. That's an ongoing deal. We're falling short of the glory of God. Now, what does it mean? What does that mean? fall short of the glory of God. I never really see, verse 23, I got that underlined. That's one of the Roman road. I got that. But I never really looked at that second part. We're falling short of the glory of God. What, if we're falling short of the glory of God, that must mean we need the glory of God. So we need the glory of God. This is the same condition as the prodigal son. And when y'all remember the prodigal son, when he takes inheritance, goes off and acts crazy. So, um, and then the prodigal, Bible tells us the prodigal son, after he, all his wealth is gone, he began to be in want. He began to be in want. That's what it means to want the glory of God, to need the glory of God. So, there's, there's some scripture to back up this. If, if believers need the glory of God, is the Bible talk about that? Yeah, it does. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, Paul says, Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, For God has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And in John 17, Jesus Christ said, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Y'all remember what happened to Moses when God passed before him? He, um, 
the shadow of God passed before him, the glory of God. And Moses came down. People couldn't even look at him. Y'all, we have to have, in order for us to stand in God's presence one day, in order for us to be with him in heaven forever, we've got to have a little bit of God's glory as part of us. We fall, but we're falling short of it. We're falling short of it. And, but Peter tells us, we can never attain the divine glory unless we attain it through faith in Jesus Christ and belief in him. That's how we attain the glory of God. Let me read to you what 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time so this is uh this is how we attain divine glory we're born again Jesus it's through faith in Jesus Christ and belief in him guys you can't do it on your own you have to be born again the bible tells us in second corinthians 5:17 if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So the gospel is not here to make people better. It's not here to give us encouragement. It's not here to make people happy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to make dead people alive. That's what it does. It makes dead people living. You have to be born again. You have to come out of that dead state you're in and be born again into new life. That's what it means to have the righteousness of God. That's what it means to be right with God. So, I think that's all for me, <laughs> and that's a lot. So, uh, there's more. There's more to come in Romans. So, I hope, uh, I don't know if I've pricked your interest or not, but uh, the message of Romans is that we can be right with God, and, and salvation is available to all men, no matter what, no matter how bad you are. So, in the midst of this COVID uh, mess in this world, have hope. You know, God's provided a way for people to be right with him. And uh, even though we face suffering and trials, and, and tempor it's temporary. As believers, we know that this is not our home. We know that our home is in, with, with Jesus in heaven. So be encouraged. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray you forgive me for just stumbling on myself when I feel so inadequate when I read your word and I delve into these massive massive truths that you presented to us in Romans it is just a joy and exciting to study your word but I pray you forgive me for my weakness I pray that uh, something said today God was a blessing to to the hearers I pray that someone somewhere would just uh, be encouraged by your word by the hope that we have that we we do not have to die in our sins. We do not have to die a dead person. We can live righteously, and we can live in right relationship with you, Father, through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that um, before the day's end, that, that all people within this uh, video or voice or recording or live stream would know Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the Redeemer Church, uh, for our church, for our people, that you bless them in their homes. I pray for Shannon and those uh, other families dealing with COVID and quarantine, that you would encourage them and help them get better. I pray, Father, um, that you would just go with us this rest, rest of the day, the rest of the week, 
help us as believers to share this good news with those around us, to not be, um, not to put our light under a bush or hide it, but to share that truth with everyone we meet. Father, for your glory and for not our own, we ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.